This is Made in Montana News on the Treasure State Radio Network. I'm Jay Scott. Montana's Senate has voted unanimously to override the first veto issued by Governor Greg Gianforte, endorsing a bill that would make it easier for the legislature to repeal administrative rules issued by state agencies. Current law gives the legislature the ability to repeal administrative rules by passing bills. However, those bills are subject to the governor's veto. Instead, Senate Bill 227, sponsored by Senator Steve Fitzpatrick, the Republican from Great Falls, would let the legislature repeal administrative rules with a joint resolution, which can pass with simple majority votes in the House and Senate and not be subject to a veto. Quote, when the executive branch writes the rules, it's almost impossible for us to repeal the rules, he said. Minority Democrats joined Republicans for the unanimous veto override in the Senate on Friday. The bill passed the House 96 to 4 back in March. In order to successfully override a governor's veto, a similar motion in the House would have to gather support from 67 of 100 representatives. A House legislative spokesman said Friday the House will take its own veto override vote on SB 227 next week. Former Montana Adjutant General Matt Quinn has been tapped by President Joseph Biden to be the Undersecretary for Memorial Affairs for the Department of Veterans Affairs. Major General Quinn served as the 27th leader of the Montana Army National Guard. He also served in the U.S. Army. He is a veteran of Operation Desert Storm and Iraqi Freedom, commanding soldiers at the company and battalion level. If confirmed by the Senate, Quinn would oversee the maintenance and operation of 155 VA national cemeteries, which provide burial services for veterans and eligible family members. Quinn would also oversee design and construction of new VA national cemeteries and manage memorial programs. That would include headstones, markers, medallions, and presidential memorial certificates. His new post also administers federal grants to the 118 veteran cemeteries. After his retirement from the military, Quinn was president of ELM Locating and Utility Service. He has a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from Montana State University, a master's of business administration from the University of Montana, and a master's from the U.S. Army War College. On March 15th of the year 2000, just two days after COVID-19 entered Montana, the Blackfeet Nation declared a state of emergency, which closed many businesses, and they've been closed for over a year. Students are doing remote learning. The tribe implemented curfews, which were enforced by punishable fines, and businesses, restaurants, and bars were shut down. The tribe also closed the east entrance to Glacier National Park, which typically attracts millions of visitors from around the world and boosts the tribe's economy each year. The closures didn't work. The Blackfeet Nation, the reservation, had nearly 400 active cases in October, 
In all, the tribe lost 47 community members to the virus. Now, because more than 95% of adults on the Blackfeet Reservation have been vaccinated, the tribe will reopen the east entrance to Glacier National Park and also open local businesses, restaurants, and bars. The tribe has entered phase three of its reopening, which allows businesses to operate at 50 to 75% capacity. Phase three is being called the new normal. It went into effect on March 15th and allows schools to offer in-person learning. Bars, restaurants, and lodging to open, and nursing homes will be able to have visitors beginning in May. Masks are required in the Glacier Peaks Casino. Employees sanitize surfaces, and gaming machines are programmed to enforce social distancing. If someone is using one machine, the machines next to it will not accept a credit card because the gamers would be less than six feet apart. The Blackfeet Nation recently announced students will have prom on April 17th, and many have stopped at the Rockin' Outlaw to buy dresses and suits. To celebrate and honor community members who died of COVID-19, the tribe plans to install a permanent memorial near the Memorial of the Plains Indians. The memorial will include benches and the names of those who died. Each name will be illuminated, and a broken boulder in the center will signify the pain of the departed community. Even with COVID-19 concerns, Whitefish Mountain Resort is reporting its busiest season on record. Nearly 460,000 skiers visited, up 20% from the previous high set two years ago. The biggest single day this winter was New Year's Eve. According to the public relations manager at the resort, Maureen McKay, the resort wrapped up its season Sunday with a settled base of 94 inches on the summit and 231 inches of total snowfall. The ski area typically averages 300 inches of snowfall a season. A number of changes were put in place in response to the pandemic, including a requirement for face coverings and the elimination of a singles line at chairlifts. According to report statistics, there were more than 2.4 billion vertical feet skied during this season. The resort's 2021-2022 winter season will begin on December 9th and go through April 10th of next year. The Montana Lottery sent out its first news release Friday listing major lottery prizes won this week without including the names of the winners following a new law allowing prize winners to remain anonymous. The legislature passed the bill last month. Governor Greg Gianforte signed it into law on March 31st. Lottery spokesperson Jennifer McKee says officials were only releasing the towns where the major prizes were won, the amounts won, the game played, and the name of the retailer that sold the ticket. The legislation argued that individual privacy rights of a lottery winner outweighed the public's right to know. The law overturns a long-standing administrative rule adopted by the lottery that said a winner's name is public information. 
The lottery can still release the names of winners in response to court orders and must still check the names of winners of large prizes against the list of people who owe child support. The Colorado Sun newspaper has researched the guns involved in that state's long history of mass murder and school threats. Some examples. Six days before the Arapahoe High School student killed a classmate in 2013, he picked up a 12-gauge shotgun at a sporting goods chain store. One day before an 18-year-old allegedly obsessed with the Columbine murders caused lockdowns and closures at hundreds of Colorado schools, she purchased a pump-action shotgun just after stepping off a flight from Florida. Two main themes emerged in Colorado's cases. In some, the guns used in the killings were legally purchased in preparation for crime. In others, they were stolen such as in May of 2019 when two students at the STEM school Highlands Ranch used an axe and a crowbar to break into a gun safe in one of their homes just hours before authorities say one of them shot and killed a classmate. The Colorado cases jibe with a Federal Bureau of Investigation analysis which showed that 40% of active shooter incidents that the FBI reviewed, the, the gunman purchased the firearm legally and specifically for the purpose of perpetrating the attack. 35% of the time, the shooter had the firearm for years and had not acquired them in preparation for that attack. In 17% of the cases, the guns were borrowed or stolen. Some more examples. Three of the four guns used in the 1999 attack at Columbine High School were purchased legally through unregulated sales at a gun show. The teen killers bought a fourth gun illegally from a 22-year-old man they met through a mutual acquaintance. Twenty years after Combine, almost to the day, an 18-year-old student from Surfside, Florida, who authorities say was infatuated with the Colorado school shooting, set off a statewide panic, although Saul Pays was too young to buy a gun under Florida state law, she was able to purchase a shotgun in Colorado. Immediately after landing at Denver's airport, she drove to a store near Columbine High School and bought a pump-action shotgun and ammunition. She passed a background check and walked out of the store with the gun. Florida law prohibits gun sales to people under 21 and requires a three-day waiting period. Ten states and the District of Columbia have waiting periods to purchase guns, according to Giffords Law Center to prevent gun violence. Montana health officials have reported 70 new cases of COVID-19 and one new death on Monday. Active cases all right, 1,124, up from 1060 last Monday and up from 935 two weeks ago. One additional death was reported Monday. That total is now 1,524. Cumulative cases for the state have reached over 106,250. Of that, 103,600 are considered recovered, meaning they meet the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Guidelines. 
Hospitals in the state reported 51 active COVID-19 cases. There have been 4,851 hospitalizations. Healthcare officials have administered just under 590,000 vaccine doses statewide. The number of Montanans fully vaccinated is now just under 246,000. If you need to hear this report again, please check our web pages and the podcast on Treasure State Radio or KGRTDB. The podcast has listeners in 33 states and provinces, now in 21 countries on six continents. Made in Montana news is heard on the Treasure State Radio Network, including KMEH 100.1 FM in Helena, Elkhorn Mountains Radio, KEMRDB in Jefferson County, Montana Homegrown Radio in Bozeman, King West Radio in Billings, and ResCast Radio on the Fort Peck Reservation. That's Made in Montana News. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Treasure State Radio Network.